Okay, we're going to go straight to our interview with Andy Saltz, candidate in House District 33. We're getting through them all, folks. House District 33 spans southwest Portland, part of Washington County. Mitch Greenlick represented that district for nearly two decades. Is now retiring. Dr. Andy Saltz is running for the position. Grew up in the Cedar Mills area. Graduated Sunset High School. Go Apollos. Assistant Professor and Program Director of the Ph.D. Program in Education and Learning at Pacific University. Also a PCP, a Precinct Committee person with the Washington County Democrats. Welcome, Dr. Saltz. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm a huge fan of the show. Well, thanks a million. Who are you and why are you running? Uh, well, you did a nice job of introing me. My name is Andy Saltz. I am a an career educator, a father of two toddlers, and um, I'm running for House District 33, Northwest Portland, um, into unincorporated Washington County. Actually, I'm a longtime resident of unincorporated Washington County. Uh, my wife and I started dating when we were 16 years old at Sunset High School, and uh, we are raising our kids in the neighborhood we grew up in. And one of the things I've, I've always believed is you can measure a community um, by, by if people want to move back there and raise their families. And so Jenny and I are doing that. I'm running for the legislature to build the future that our children deserve, that when I think about the next generation, I hear a lot of concerns about uh, housing affordability, about traffic out here because we've had such large population increases, uh, and about the quality of our schools. And, and those are things that in my childhood, I, I had I have great memories of uh, the Beaverton Public Schools, for example, um, but unfortunately our state has not invested in the next generation. And so I, I really worry that our children will not have kind of the same positive experience growing up that Jenny and I had here. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm a professor of education policy. I study uh, how to improve statewide school systems. Um, I also study the intersection between education, healthcare, and economic policy, and bring a belief that all policy is connected and um, that that's really important. So I study things like school-based health centers, uh, things like the relationship between Medicaid waivers and waivers in, in the welfare system and education system. So I'm, I'm running and, and I'm, I'm really excited about trying to build that future. Obviously, COVID has change the landscape quite a bit. And so uh, right now I'm leaning really heavily on my budget experience. Um, I worked at the Senate Fiscal Agency when I lived in Michigan for a few years. Um, I also was on a school board during the Great Recession in the state of Michigan. And, and you may have heard that the recession hit Michigan uh, pretty hard. And so um, have done a lot of that budget work, teach quantitative methods in our PhD program. And um, I think the 2021 session is really gonna be defined by uh, working through through tough uh, budget budget situations. Well, let's start with the budget then. How would you try to project yourself forward? And of course, when you'd be entering, if you win, you'd be entering as a freshman in the legislature. So you're not going to be, you know, co-chair ways and means at that point. But what, would, nonetheless, would you be advocating to do to balance? Were Constitution required to balance the budget in Oregon? What would you be suggesting to balance the budget, which almost certainly come May is going to see a pretty tricky revenue forecast? Yeah, I, it's, it's going to be challenging. And I think that the priority has to be on basic needs. Um, you know, I, I think the numbers now have surpassed 330,000 folks applying for unemployment in our state. I know that child hunger and houselessness are huge issues in our state. And so I think that putting the priority on meeting those basic needs is going to be the most important thing. Um, I, I think 
what we did when I was on the school board is really look at some administrative costs, really look at some consolidation of, of bureaus or of departments um, as a way of, of really trying to get there. And, and lastly, I do think um, thinking about how to get capital in individuals' hands and small businesses um, as soon as possible. And so um, I, I fully expect there to be another federal stimulus. Um, I really hope that our representatives can, you know, really advocate for some of that money to be used as backfill for both state and local governments. Um, I saw that as really important during the Great Recession. And, and let's pause there for um, a second, because right now, right now, Mitch McConnell has said he'd prefer states to go bankrupt and that they don't want they don't want any federal money going into backfill anything. They certainly don't want any federal money going to pay for uh, for retirement commitments that state governments have. The uh, so feel free to you know sort of album maybe he'll get maybe he'll blank maybe something will change about that maybe Pelosi will win that negotiation. That's one possible view. Another view is that Oregon kind of has to go it alone and figure it out. And most of our uh, expenses are personnel related. Uh, how do you right. deal with that? What do you do? You cut personnel? Do you try to do furlough days? Do you try to renegotiate contracts? What do you do? Well, I'm a huge process person. And so I think we have to have everyone at the table. Labor needs to be there. Uh, business needs to be there. And um, I'm really proud that if you look at my endorsements, I have, I'm the only candidate in this race to have um, a number of labor endorsements as well as a Chamber of Commerce, uh, the Beaverton Chamber of Commerce. And so I, I really think throughout this campaign, I've worked to get a broad coalition behind me. Um, so, so I think that process is really important. I, we are going to have a lot of really challenging decisions. And, and like you said, I don't think we can count on the federal government. I also think, you know, people like to, to talk about the importance of first responders and, and individuals doing the really important, dangerous work and then not support them uh, when the budget comes up. And that's, that's not okay. And so I, I do think there's more work to be done there um, on the next federal stimulus, which I do think will happen eventually. Well, I want to, I want to push a little bit though. So I hear the process point, right? And that to some degree is fair, but what are you hearing the constituents want? What are you hearing the differences between what the business folks want and what labor unions want? And again, most specifically, like, what would you do? Where would you even start to cut? Yeah. So I think with COVID people, I, I guess I think about COVID in three phases the stay-at-home order, which we're now in, and I think in the next month or two, we're going to start to reopen some stuff, hopefully, if we continue on the same trajectory, um, and then focus more on recovery, maybe six to 12 months from now, once people are more comfortable with moving beyond social distancing. Um, I, I think both businesses and labor are concerned about capital in people's hands. Like, people can't make pay, small businesses can't make payroll, individuals can't make their rent payments, and so... I think speeding up processes as, as quickly as possible, uh, redeploying folks into things like the unemployment office um, is going to be really, really important in this next reopen phase. And, and I'm trying to answer your question in the context of I'm not going to take office until January of 2021, right? So we can talk about the COVID now. Um, my hope is that we'll be in a different place then. Um, in the reopen phase in the next you know couple months, we have to have more testing. And, and so I think the availability of testing and the, the rapid communication about if a breakout happens in a certain community, what, what do we need to do? Do we need to go back to a stay at home um, is gonna be really important. And I, I don't really understand why testing has been 
such a challenge. Um, my wife actually went through testing about a month ago and it took eight days to get results. And so as you can imagine, that was pretty challenging for my family. Um, to the recovery point, I, I haven't had a lot of conversations about that next step because I think people are living in the day in the day in day out right now. Um, I think we are going to have to think about major restructuring. If you look at our education system, for example, a lot of states are talking about you can go back, but you can't have more than like 10 kids in a class. Um, to give you context, Sunset High School, before this all started, had a social studies class with 48 kids in it. So does that mean we're going to school every other day? Um, because our, our buildings don't have the capacity to have a bunch of 10 student classes. So. I, I think we're gonna have to be really creative. My background is in policy, is in database decision-making, and I think that'll really help me navigate some of those challenging situations. You say you'd prioritize getting money in people's hands. Would you prioritize that above maintaining jobs of state workers? If you had it, uh, the debate around it, and I don't mean to be an off-the-wall question, the debate around uh, universal basic income is essentially one about, well, if you just get the resource to the person out there, they can decide where the money goes, and maybe you don't need quite as much bureaucratic heft to provide direct service. Sort of where do you land in that debate? Well, again, and, and that's why I'm trying to talk about these three phases. I think right now people are trying to survive, and people are scared, and a lot of people need money now. That's not a, that's, it, from my perspective, a long-term solution is creating jobs for everyone. Um, it, it's so interesting to just contrast where we were three months ago with where we are now. Uh, unemployment was really low. I think 95% of people had health insurance. We were in a very different place. And so I, I think just contrasting those two helps us tease out the fact that we're really in uncharted water here. Yeah, and I wanted to get an idea of how you would chart and where you would navigate us towards. Let's go to schools, since you talked about that. What do you see? And again, I know that you won't be in the legislature. I mean, what we're facing in terms of COVID-19 is going to be different, but I think we can make prognostications about the economy. Well, let me ask you yours. What do you see as somebody who is a student of economic policy? Where do you see the economy heading over your first term in office, maybe first two? Yeah, I've done everything I can these last uh, six weeks or so to read about the Great Recession and to read economic forecasting. Eco Northwest has done some really good work. Um, I think the, the next state forecast comes out right after the primary. I think May 20th they're going to announce. The, the forecast I've seen has, has looked like a 2 to $3 billion shortfall. Um, now, as you know, the short session was cut short, uh, no pun intended. Be, and so as a result, there's about 600 million left over that might have been spent if they had had a normal short session. So I think the lesson from the Great Recession is that this is going to be a very long process, um, maybe three to five years to get us back to you know pre-COVID levels. Um, and so a tapering off of any kind of economic support is gonna be really, really important, whereas with the federal stimulus under the Great Recession, it was a two-year, and so they talked about that cliff, I think it was like 2012, 2013, for public agencies. I, I think if you tapered that off a little bit longer, um, that, that would be really helpful so you wouldn't see the massive layoffs as we did in, in 2012, 2013. And tapering off of which part? Tapering off of what money the federal government sending states, what money the federal government sending human beings, or tapering off something that the state is doing? 
I think I think all I think don't think about this as a one to two year problem. Think about it as a three to five year problem. Which is why and I'm so, so fascinated. Which is exactly why I'm so fascinated by the budget question, right? And I know that it's sort of tricky, and you know how much you've presumably looked at the state budget, but it's why to me the problem that you're going to be facing in the legislature. Nobody's going to be asking you to cure COVID-19. People are right. going to be asking you to balance the budget. They are going to be asking, right. well, what the heck do we do? And every economist I know of says it's going to be worse than the Great Recession, which means the challenges yeah. you're going to be facing are going to be harder than the challenges that legislators through 2008, 2012 are facing. Well, and I can, I can give you a couple of um, ideas and then recognize the fact that both individuals and businesses are really hurting right now. Yeah. And we don't know how they're going to recover. We have a state that is very focused on the income tax. And when we're focused on the income tax, that means these economic short downturns are really hard for our state. So, again, my priority would be the most vulnerable people. Um, so Medicaid funding, I think we have to push testing. We have to push houselessness services and child hunger services. Examples of things that we might be able to move away from um, you know, DMV right now probably is a pretty quiet place. Um, tour, I don't know if we should be pumping a ton of money into tours right now. Um, and so I do think as we look at it, there are some priorities from an education standpoint. You know, we made the conscious decision to not do standardized testing this year. I think that makes sense. Most standardized testing happens in April. I, logistically, I don't know how that would have happened. We spend a lot of money on standardized testing and it, the administration of it. I don't know moving forward if that's as important as, you know, seat time, for example. Um, so maybe can we cut that down? I would like to, to overhaul our accountability system more generally. Um, so, so I think there's some work to be done there, but, but really parsing out within each budget area, what are the essential and the things that aren't as pressing? Um, and, and again, I, I think it's gonna be really challenging, but that's work that, I, that I've done on the school board. Schools. What should you study school policy? What would be your first, yeah, maybe first three priorities, not only in terms of making sure schools are okay, but using this opportunity to consider what needs to change, either change in the near term or change in the long term? Where are your priorities? Sure. I'll give you three examples. And again, I, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff. And so I, I'm happy to kind of have any a longer conversation with folks if they're interested. Our accountability system is broken. We test students in the spring. Those results don't come back till the fall. The students by that time have different teachers. So they're not able to use those data to actually help improve instruction. And I just don't understand in 2020 how we don't have testing that can be quicker than that um, and more formative rather than summative assessment that is helping educators actually learn from those data and incorporate them. So one of the things I would like to do is change our accountability system. I think Student Success Act did that in some helpful ways. I think there's still some work to do. Um, second, I think we really need to think about our uh, length of school year. We have the, the shortest school year in the country, actually. Um, and what that does is it really exacerbates inequality. And so I, we, I think we have to raise that bar. I, I don't think anybody wants to send their kids the fewest school days. As, as a father of two toddlers, I can tell you that um, not just on the learning side, but also just on the childcare side, it puts a lot of pressure on families, particularly working families. Um, and I think the last thing that I'm really proud of Pacific University for doing is placing an emphasis on diversifying our teacher force. Um, we have 
an increasingly racially diverse student population, but our teaching force is still predominantly white. And one thing we're trying to do is really identify students of color in high school, talk to them about college opportunities and pathways into teaching, so then they can return to their communities and teach within their communities. And there's a lot of research out there that says students of color have a lot better outcomes when they have teachers of color, both academic outcomes and non-academic outcomes. So things like employment, things like graduation, things like um, college attendance, all of that, um, as well as kind of your standard standardized test scores. Um, so I, those are three areas that I would look at. Um, there's a lot of work to do. Oregon has the second worst high school graduation rate in the country. And so I think if we're talking about building a more equitable society, we have to do more. How come? Um, on the education side. And by the way, we're talking to Andy Saltz, candidate, House District 33, candidate for the State House, Mitch Green, looks old seat. Andy, how come Oregon has low graduation rates? Excellent question. Um, the students that are graduating in the next month um, entered kindergarten in 2007. So if you think about it, they've had 12 years, I mean, starting really the, with the Great Recession where we have divested in education. And um, funny story, um, you probably remember Measure 5. Um, early 90s was um, shifted school funding pretty dramatically, put a, put a limit on property taxes. So I was a student at Ridgewood Elementary School at the time, and this was before vote by mail. And um, I actually got sent to the principal's office because I was telling voters to vote no on Measure 5 but I was too close to the polling location. If you remember, you had to be like 150, 200 feet from the polling location. And so I, I think those reforms matter. Um, they have absolutely driven up class size. They have um, led to a really shortened school year. And I believe in our education system, kids need to be in schools if they're gonna learn. So I think that's one reason. We also have one of the highest uh, child houselessness rates, child hunger rates. Uh, we have not invested in our most vulnerable kids and it really breaks my heart. What are other states doing smarter? Because every state had to do, not every state had to deal with uh, something like Measure 5. Uh, every state was dealing with the Great Recession. Uh, so, you know, the, the comparative graduation rates in Oregon versus every other state in the union, they were dealing with some budget shortfalls also. Anything else that in the comparison makes a difference? Is it all Measure 5 or is there something that other states are no, doing No, I mean, there's, there's a whole host of other things. I talked about the, the teacher force. Um, there's some governance things. The Oregon used to have a state superintendent of public instruction. They got rid of that position. And every Do you think that was a mistake? Two, well, every two to three years, we have changed the governance structure since then. So now the governor is the the effectively the state superintendent, and we have not had a consistent structure. So the Massachusetts model is is the model that I lean on. The state board actually appoints someone as the state superintendent, and I think that gives them a little bit more continuity than in the governor's office, which tends to draw it into some political discourse, as we saw in the 2016 or 2018 gubernatorial uh, election that distracts them from their work. So I think there's some governance things we can do, too. But again, I don't, I don't want to get too in the weeds on this. I just do know that well, get, there are get as weedsy, get as weedsy as you want. Right. You know, there's okay. any number of well, questions. So like, I, yeah. I, I just don't think we've had a consistent governance structure, and I yeah. think that has led to a lot of changes in policy quickly, which as an educator, it's really hard to react to that. So the continuity allows people to get into a rhythm and to have the same curriculum and text that they're using. And we just have not seen that same continuity in Oregon. Let me switch gears a little bit. 
let's take a hypothetical that's related to a very non-hypothetical. Right now we're seeing significant problems with the Oregon Employment Department. Okay, people having a real hard time getting their checks. The resets on Sunday have very often made people have to tell people they have to reapply entirely. Uh, the Employment Department, of course, is dealing with a cascade of applications that they've never anticipated. Uh, now imagine you're faced with a choice. One choice is, and it's sort of a long question, forgive me. One choice is staff up at the Employment Department. Choice two is revamp the computer system at the Employment Department. The hypothetical is, well, maybe it should, uh, instead of hypothetical, I'll just have it as an example. Similar question with the tax department, Revenue, Oregon Revenue Department, which was, well, should we get more tax collectors, people who call people up and say, hey, you're behind, you want to catch up, because that actually yields more revenue and is more workers and is more jobs and is more labor union members, or what a lot of people within the system were advocating for, which is a better computer system, which would make all that stuff easier, make it faster for people to file their, file their taxes, where would you prioritize new computer system or new workers well i think in the short term we're in a crisis now and so i would absolutely i mean if you would have asked me this question six months ago i would have said computer system easy like we we need to build infrastructure to support our systems we received 86 million dollars in 2009 to build a new computer system for our employment division the estimates are we will have that by 2025 i'm not making this up and so, so I guess my frustration is that should have been done. There were plans to have that, and, and we're using DOS for this. Like, I, I worry that at times our state government has not been held accountable for things like our foster care system or um, this computer updates. Like, this is, this is stuff that we have to be sharp on, or in times of crisis, things will be worse than they have to be. So I really feel for the workers out there that are trying to get their unemployment. I know that folks are really frustrated. We're doing a lot of phone banking. I'm talking to a lot of constituents and people are really upset because they've been told that they could apply for these benefits. They've either not been able to get through or the story has changed. And I think we really, really, the communication piece is really critical um, when people are experiencing this much stress and anxiety. Talking to Andy Saltz, candidate for House District 33, Southwest Portland, et cetera. Andy. What's at stake in this race? What makes you better than the other candidates? Well, I think a lot is at stake. I think we've seen during this pandemic quality leadership and leadership that has failed. And our, you know, our president has continually made ridiculous statements that are harmful um, to the degree that some networks aren't showing him anymore, right? And so I, I think leadership really matters and we need individuals who know the community really well and who have experience. There are a couple of things that help that have me stand out in this race. First, my wife and I grew up here. I know House District 33 really, really well. Actually, when I was a senior at Sunset, I got a knock on my door and I opened it and it was Mitch Greenlick and he was running uh, for the first time in the year 2000 and it was the first election I could vote in. And so. I've seen how this district's changed. The Pearl District looked really different 20 years ago, as did Bethany, as did Cedar Mill. Uh, the second thing that makes me stand out is I've been an elected official before, and we need someone on day one who can handle this budget stuff and who knows what public service is about. When I ran, I, I just, I made the conscious decision that my toddlers had to see 
examples of public leaders with humility, with the ability to listen, and with the ability to use science and data to drive decisions. And that is so, so critical now. Uh, being on the school board during the Great Recession really taught me about how to bring folks to the table and make difficult decisions. This, this is not about me, this is about how we can bring our community together. Uh, the last thing I'll just mention, I, I do have um, a really broad coalition of folks around me. The state senator from this district, Elizabeth Steiner Hayward, has mentored me through this process and knows this district really well. And um, you mentioned a co-chair of Ways and Means. She's actually one of the co-chairs of Ways and Means. And I, I think her mentorship and guidance will really help me um, be really successful in that first term uh, in the legislature. Andy, what's the weirdest thing you've done to campaign in the context of the coronavirus? The weirdest thing? Um, I don't I don't think our campaign has done anything too weird. I mean, we have done a lot of postcarding and phone banking to people, so I get calls a lot from people saying, hey, I got something from you. Like, can we talk about this? Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that's too weird. I have a three-year-old and a two-year-old, so as you can imagine, uh, my house is a lot louder than it used to be. <laughs> Um, kind of all the time. And so I've been trying to keep them entertained. I had my three-year-old on a skateboard the other day for the first time, which was kind of fun. Inside the house or, or too close to a polling oh, place? Yeah, and then driveway, yeah. Andy Saltz, the website is andyfororegon.org. Andy, thank you so much for spending the time this morning. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Be well.